Greetings and salutations. Welcome to In Conversation with Dave Morris and Jason Geary. I am Dave Morris, and Jason isn't actually here for this intro. Uh, not for any good reason. It's not like he he flubbed the audio again or or uh, we, we forgot. But because he got to do an intro by himself a couple weeks ago, and so I was like, hey, I want to do an intro by myself. So this is my intro. And of course, uh, it's for a guest who doesn't even really need much of an introduction, so I feel like I got cheated a little, because he got to actually introduce people. Uh, the guy, But the guest today is Joe Bill. I don't think I need to say much more, because if you've been in the improv world for any amount of time, you've heard the name Joe Bill, either from your teacher or from something you've read on the internet or something you've looked up. So I'm going to assume everyone already knows who he is. So enjoy our wonderful conversation full of full of uh, philosophy and friendship and laughter with Joe Bill. Are you still on Victoria Day? I am, yeah. Mm -hmm. I uh, I drove by your theater when you were out of the country trying to stalk me. <laughs> In Victoria? Oh, wow. Yeah, I was there. Uh, I have a friend whose daughter I think had done some improvisation, but I traveled with this friend and up with people mm -hmm. and she lives in salt Springs, yeah. but she met me in Victoria so we could have a little hangout time. Yeah. Cause you can't just kind of jump over to salt spring. It's not easy. No, it's, it's too hippie island. and everybody's has macrame <laughs> boats. And... Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, that's uh, where oh, I was out of the country. That's a shame. Yeah, this would have been, mm, I'm going to go, fuck, time. Three years ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. Where would we have been? We were probably in Romania. Because uh, that would have been right when Milo was born. And I think the trip we made, like, right when he was, like, one year old was to Romania. He walked, he mm -hmm. took his first steps in Romania. Oh, were you were you teaching over there or doing stuff with uh, Bogdan and them? Yeah, for in, the uh, impro... I think they just called Impro the festival there, right? Impro Bucharest or Bucharest? The Recul? Recul? Uh, it was with Recul, or they were there, but it was hosted by um, Impro Disneyland? Impro. <laughs> Impro something like play, some play on Disneyland. Impro. Completely feasible. Yeah, Improv Disneyland. Impro um, Mice in Your Pocket, or are you yeah, just like happy Bogdan, to see me? Bogdan was there and stuff, and he was in the workshops. I did, I did like a week-long storytelling thing. and. Yeah, it was pretty oh, cool. Yeah, and we had to bring my wife's sister so that we had someone to watch the baby. Uh, so we like brought uh, nanny trip. Yeah, it was pretty fun. It was pretty cool. How old's the baby? He is four now. So yeah, so he was yeah. one. Yeah, so that was that was must have been Romania. It was in the fall then, probably. That sounds right. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah we cool. did it. We figured it out. We just keep missing. <laughs> and then just um, I got the just I got your the thing on Facebook where like keeping this conversational and dialogue -y, And so thumbs yeah. up, I get it. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. Yeah. Just pretty cash. Uh, and don't feel bad. So, so back to when we met, uh, so that you don't feel bad because yep. I was there, but I think I had to leave both of your workshops early. So actually <laughs> I was, I was the, that asshole. guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> both, and I think cause I was teaching something at some point and I had to leave. So I missed both like the last hour of the two days you taught or something. So I was, which is there. probably fine. Yeah. I tried to front load workshops with all the good stuff so I could just kind of for the last hour. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> just you never know. Yeah. 
It's one of those like, yeah, you front load the workshop and then you end up having like three hours left. And Here's all like, the good shit. shit. You guys got to kill three hours. What are we and I just do it again. <laughs> do it again. And cheers, better. by the way. Uh -huh. Oh, cheers. cheers. I'm, uh, you have your coffee? Yeah, it's uh, iced coffee. Very nice. Cold dripped. Should we should we start? Are we started? Have we started already, Jason? It's very Melbourne. It's very Melbourne. Cold drip iced coffee. Nice. Have we started? Are we in process? Are we going? Uh, uh, shall we shall we do a little high and then kick off from there? Yeah. Let's, let's Howdy, go. hello. Did you, uh, Dave? Did you ready. hear the um, the Kale podcast? Have you had a chance to? I did listen to. That put a little Simpsons cut off. Kale's dog attacked his kid halfway through our podcast. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was madness. Yeah, I. Uh, that was hilarious. Yeah, I did not. I've been. Um, I've been jumping on and off. Uh, luckily, I got some work uh, doing uh, coaching for people in Europe. So I've been nice. up early in the morning. So I get up at six, which. And I don't do that. Um, not during the pandemic, but then yeah. I get done. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to be productive. And I get done about eight or nine. And then it's like, I think that would be pretty good. Yeah. 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 That would be great. That was an early morning. I should get it. <laughs> wow, man. I mean, I'm really, I should be proud of myself. Yeah. yeah. I was up. You've already you already done up the work. Three, you get up at three and then you're like, well, I got to teach early tomorrow. I should probably get to bed soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know those texts that Kale sent uh, the both of us the other day. They arrived at five a.m. I was like, my my phone went ding. I was like, who the fuck is texting me? Is someone dead? <laughs> it's just Kale. He's up early. He's <laughs> like, I was like, dude. <laughs> anyway, yeah, all right. So let's. Uh, yeah, okay. Let's yeah. Go. Okay. <laughs> Joe Bill's here. Hey, Joe. How are you? What's up, brothers? <laughs> how Good are you, to my see friend? You. Yeah, real too. good, man. Happy to be here with you guys. Yeah, so nice to have you. You know, I yeah, I thanks for was taking thinking, the time. I was thinking about a way to like try and send you a beer or something, so that <laughs> when we start the podcast, you could open a beer that I'd like mailed to you for the for the podcast, so that we could have a beer together. Officially, and I realized that there was that was just going to be too complicated. So uh, instead, yeah. I'll just PayPal you like five bucks. Knock it out yourself. I'll take the IOU so that when I finally see you, you'll owe me a beer, and then I can hopefully guilt you into two more. Two more, yeah, yeah. easy, easy. Yeah. Uh, if it's American dollars, though, it's going to we're going to have to half it. Yeah, the price of Canadian beer is insane. Yeah, we it's cheaper than water up here. I guess. Uh, and, and that's how you, and that's how all the healthcare is paid for, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, cuz you you posted on my wall a while back something about how uh how we we need to sit down for a beer on Facebook. Yeah. And I was wondering like why what prompted that? Do you even remember or did you were you just sitting there one night and you're like I got to tell Dave we have to have a beer. Yeah, it's it's because I mean, I'm getting up there in my improv years and so in a way, you know, now like the people that I don't know in improv that have been doing it a long time or impro, V optional, um, are, you know, that is dwindling. And so they're almost on every tour I go, whether it's in Europe or if I'm popping up to Canada for a couple of weeks or whatever, then I'll see somebody and they know you and they know me and it'll you know, I'm drinking beer with them. And then whenever it's Dave Morris, it's like, God, man, I've been meaning to meet Dave Nor Morris for 10 years and having a beer. Oh, you guys would love to have a beer with each other. <laughs> so it was probably, 
of those encounters. I'm like, hey, man, we ought to have a beer with each other. <laughs> yeah, that, that, okay, that's that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I, for a second, yeah. I was worried. I was like, oh, shit, did I say something? And Joe was <laughs> like, look, man. He's throwing down. Beer sometime. <laughs> like, get, get a bone to pick with me. I was like a little worried. The old Joe Bill throw down. Yeah. <laughs> the throw down. You, me, beer, no. <laughs> that's how we but fight. That's how improvisers fight. <laughs> like that, like I mean, you guys both, you know, get around a little bit. You, you know, that thing where you discover you don't know somebody, but or everybody knows somebody in improv or improv, and then, but you haven't met yet. Yeah, and then people try to play matchmaker and stuff. Yeah. Does that happen to you? Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. 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 So and now so- that you've met me, Dave, outside of leaving my workshops early at a festival twice. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing to say. I didn't want to say anything about your workshops, but yeah, yeah. I did leave early. No, that's okay. <laughs> I said, you just, uh, I front load my workshops with the good stuff. And then, okay. you know, I, I call the, the rest self-reliance. And if you don't get it, then that's your problem. Go back yeah. to the beginning, yeah. back to zip, zap, zap. <laughs> but um, what was my question? <laughs> yeah. We'll get back to it. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. How's uh, everybody doing during, during the pandemic? Are you, uh, are you, I've heard a statistic that we forget that typically people have lost 25% of their memory. How does that track with you? That, that, that sounds good. I can't remember what the stats are, but uh, it sounds good to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, our pandemic has been, been this actually, this is like one of our pandemic projects is this podcast. Cause uh, I don't know if you know, cause I'm I'm sure you didn't listen to the first episode uh, of the podcast, but Jason, I listened to the first two thirds and then I left. (laughs) (laughs) I deserve it. We we put all the good stuff in the last third, Joe, in the last. God damn it. You're doing it wrong. (laughs) but uh but yeah like jason was supposed to be coming to victoria for my festival that i run every Uh, april Uh, and of course uh april is the worst time to have been running a festival uh, this year apparently yeah Yeah. so everything started kind of falling apart and then it was like well we're not doing a festival so how about we run like a series of podcasts where we you know talk about different improv topics like you do at a festival late night sitting around talking about things yeah so we thought, why don't we do that and put it out there for improvisers to listen to in replace of the festival in a, as a replacement. And we just liked it. So we just kept doing yeah, it. Kept and I guess it. we're going. I love it. When are we going to end, Jason? Are we going to end uh, with I, the vaccine? Uh, no, I think, I think we'll, 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 we'll keep getting guests on. We'll keep chatting. We might take a break over the holidays, but then come back again next week, uh, next yeah. time. I think we'll end the, the moment we're in the same space together again. Oh, that yeah. sounds like a great yeah. final episode. Yeah. Uh, but, I think it's, I was going to say, it's probably like one of those format things where you probably shouldn't be thinking about the ending. You should just be present in the middle <laughs> yeah. and see what. Yeah, see what totally. this is telling you. We just walked right into that, man. We just walked right into that. <laughs> I just Such rookies. Um, well, uh, I covered all that shit in the last third of my classes. Typically, okay, let's let the bit go. Let's let it go. I'm done with it. Spike the bit. <laughs> I, I had a really nice uh, thing happen to me last night because I, I I kind of forget what it's like to perform for audiences and people, and um and you know I've done a bit of zooming and and stuff like that, but no real live performance uh for for about uh almost a year now I think February was the last time I did it and um uh, Sam my wife went to uh, a venue because things are starting to reopen again last. Uh, 
uh, here in Melbourne. And and so last night she went to a venue, which is kind of like our home base here in Melbourne. It's called the Butterfly Club. It's a beautiful kitsch kind of uh, venue, lots of uh, bric-a-brac around the place and um, uh, very, very kind of hip. And uh, they opened up for uh, for my wife and a, a bunch of her friends who are also uh, other improvisers and stuff like that. And the guy who ran the place uh, ended up, because they just opened up for the the, that group last night um and they had a kind of minimum they had to spend <laughs> over the bar and they're like yep we 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 won't worry about that go for it um so they opened up the place and and the guy the manager who runs a place simone uh he's a lovely guy um uh got introduced to sam and 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 they said sam is jason's uh wife and uh and sam was telling me that simone Simone was telling her that he remembers seeing me on stage and uh, how uh, like physical and gentle I, I was and how generous I was as a performer and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, that's right. I'm a performer. Like, I, I, I kind of forgot. Like I kind of forgot that that's the, that's the impression that, that people have of me. For the last six months I've been a, a writer and not a performer and it's just – it was really nice to just kind of – have that perspective back again of 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 someone else kind of seeing you as that, which has been which was a really odd realization I have at eleven o'clock last night. But yeah. it was it was just strange when Sam was relaying that conversation to me. It's like that's right. I am a performer. I do things. People remember that, you know. Um, so yeah, it was it was a, it's like in terms of forgetting things. I think I've forgotten about that. <laughs> That that kind of what it, what it's like to be seen in that light. <laughs> yeah. So you performed live? Uh, yeah, uh, not last night. Like, but uh, this uh, this was the uh, owner of this venue recalling the first time or the times uh, he's seen me on stage there. Um, got it. And, uh, and and you know he sees me as that type of performer, and I'm like, that's right. I I I, I have that reputation. I do that. <laughs> I do that. But I'd I'd lost that that perspective on myself like uh, over the last six months i think are you um, uh, are you worried about getting on stage again i guess not me, at all i'm really looking like i'm really looking forward like, to it you're gonna lose the skills or something are you just like like i don't know how are you feeling you're good yeah i'm, I'm feeling good about it like I, I can't wait to do it um and uh, and get back in in front of a a, a, a live audience um, I'm sure I'll have to blow some cobwebs out, but it'll uh, it'll be. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to. It. I'm not worried about it. I just kind of forgot that it was one of the things that I did because I haven't done it really mm-hmm. for so long. Um, yeah, yeah. That's um my last sh- my last live performance was in Denver in a little theater in Denver, and it was after I had done. I got my first European tour of the year in, came back, and then jumped over and I performed and taught in Denver for a weekend. So that's the last time I performed. I think second week in Denver, mm-hmm. and uh, I've been, I've been starting around July or August. I started thinking, is it going to be a year? It's not going to be a year. And then around August September, I thought, shit, it's going to be a year. Yeah, it's going to be, a, and now it's going to be. I mean, I longer. you know if I th- I think it's going to be maybe a year and a half, and it's. Like I'm curious. I wonder if Canada and the United States are on the same vaccine distribution schedule or something. Or I would assume. I mean, first I got to make sure the vaccine is works, which is looking good. But by the Seems time it, like it by the time it gets out and distributed, yeah, I th- I, the best the best news I've heard was December. 
So like December is we can stop wearing masks and we can go places. Next <sighs> well, that next. Yeah, I mean that's Canada. I don't think that's the states. No. But I think like we've we've heard that the the um, that the nurses and the frontline workers will start getting it in December, and that the implication is next it's December? almost like no this coming like in okay. yeah, like yeah, yeah like in three weeks or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then for me. You know, they just give us snippets of information. And so it's like, so we're using the frontline workers as guinea pigs to trust, you know, to test the efficacy of these things. And it's, but it's like, no, 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 we're going to get them to the people who need it the most. And it's like, well, you're not done proving that this works yet. Yes. So the people that are caring for the people that have COVID and in some places in the States, I forget where it was, they said non-symptomatic doctors nurses with that have COVID but are asymptomatic, they can yeah. continue to work. Like that seems insane to me. Yeah, that's that's bad. That's bad, that's yeah. bad advice. <laughs> that's, so, and but <laughs> yeah, it, I mean that seems not, yeah, go for it. Yeah. You, you don't, yeah, like you don't I got it, it, but it's okay because you got it. So I'm here treating you and so now we both, you know Yeah, give it to me more. Yeah. Yeah. Give it to me it, more. <laughs> yeah. It, it just to me it seems like um you know, this seems like when ground rules at swinger parties first had to take place in the seventies. Like, well, you know, I got a, I got a little bit of herpes, or you know, I got a little bit of. Uh, it's all cleared up. It's not gotta, active. It's not active just, right now. Not active. You go to the herpes room, and it'll you be fine. Had gonorrhea six months ago, but a little, uh, you know, little penicillin, everything's fine. Yeah, no, every, everything I hear is that until the vaccines got out to enough people. Yeah, we still have to wear masks, and so that means mm-hmm. we still can't do live shows the same way we used to. Uh, we yeah. might be able to start doing shows with like you know the minimal seating. I think even in Texas they're already doing shows with like small yeah. houses and stuff. Like yeah, so yeah, I, Texas is a different country. Yeah, it, it might it might be sooner, but but uh, I'm just I'm not I'm not getting my hopes up. I'm not going to start planning things for February. Yeah, over here they reckon that things uh, like if uh, vaccines come out in the next couple of months. And their effectives, it's still going to take about six months for things to kind of roll out and get to a level where um, we'll be able to roll back the the kind of COVID safety things. But I hear vaccine 90% effective, and I'm like, I'm the 10% guy. I'm the 10% guy <laughs> that's going to get it. Like I, I was like, I want 100% vaccine. I don't want your 95s. Come on. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. that 5% guy that everyone be looking at going, oh, geez, he was unlucky, wasn't he? Yeah. He was yeah. so unlucky. He was in that 5%. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's so uh, – so mine uh, – paired neuroses, so yes, ending you on this. Yeah. But now it's – there's been a spate of American football players who are all catching the, the virus. Right. And so a lot of them go asymptomatic, but it's this whole American idea, like, well, if you're healthy and a man and robust and, you know, the virus, that's not shit. So for me, in my mind, I'm playing, you know, which football star is going to die. (laughs) Yeah. And so every time a ball player, and there's like one of the more famous quarterbacks uh, of the Ravens, and I know his name, (laughs) Lamar Jackson, I think. Yeah, probably. Um, Probably. That sounds right. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Uh, Canadian football report in the NFL with Dave Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, Yeah, but I mean, he just found out that he's got it and he can't play this weekend. And so there's some clubs that are being more stringent about stuff and some clubs that aren't. And and it's so, you know, and there's some, 
I, I just have to think, in my mind, the odds say that some NFL player is going to die. Yeah. It'll be some linebacker, like some big guy, because apparently, some like, if you yeah, if you're carrying a lot of weight, it doesn't do you well, the the um, the virus. So it's going to be, yeah, some behemoth guy, I reckon. You know, they're in each other's faces so much as well in that game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's all about putting your face against somebody else's face and exerting yeah. force. Yeah. Socially distanced football is just running. Yeah. It's not. Like, no. just running around and people just going through it. It's a marathon. Just. Socially distanced <laughs> football is. It doesn't, doesn't even count. Yeah. I, I want to start a ska band now. It's called socially distanced football. Socially distanced football. <laughs> running with the ball, running with the ball, running with the ball, but uh, nobody's near me. Uh, Pardon me. None of us, none of us are worried about getting back on stage, right? Like I was thinking about it because uh, I hear people concerned about how they're losing the, they're getting rusty and stuff. Uh, and I'm like, I don't know. I think that'll be just part of it, right? Like, like yeah. I'm a big believer in bringing your life on stage with you. So I'm just yeah, me too. That rustiness kind of on stage and the awkwardness of like, wow, it's been a while since we've been mm. together. This is neat. And like, accept that sort of as part of the show. Yeah. I, I wasn't I, worried I, about I, being like forgetting how to do it. I just forgot yeah. who I was. As <laughs> yeah, <laughs> forgot you forgot that, that a, you did it. Yeah. Who, I forgot that I was a performer. <laughs> who am I? Yeah. yeah. I'm on an elevated platform. The lights just went on. Hey, hey I'm riding what? a bike. Switch. I must be the performer. But I, I did, uh, I did stand up for eight years from the um, mid '80s into the early '90s, and I remember, you know, uh, early on, like missing open mics for just two weeks. And if I was two weeks after missing an open mic, and this is still as I'm developing material, but. I would almost become more anxious than when I was first starting just to write and try shit out. Yeah. So like, it's like, I've had a little bit of success. Oh, I see how this works. I'm learning how to craft and now string some stuff together. Okay. I can't do it this week. I can't do it next week. And then all of a sudden, you know, Oh, I haven't been doing the thing that I do. That yeah. is this, the experiential payoff of, of my writing, my analysis and everything where, in improvisation, and I, and I think it's probably you get to a point, right, where it's just kind of listening and paying attention and responding. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I wonder if people that, that do solo improv will be have a harder time than people that do group improv. And now can we break down solo improv? <laughs> Dave does a <laughs> lot talked, of it. We talked a lot I about did, that a couple episodes ago. With yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah, we had Jill set. on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think I, I don't know. I don't. I'm not worried about that either. Doing solo stuff. I mean, I haven't done it in a while. Uh, but when I get on stage to do it, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, audience, hey, and what do you guys want to do? Let's build something together. Uh, so I don't. I'm and are you playing multiple characters, and are you drawing from them as you as you're rolling out your piece, or sometimes uh, it depends the mood, I guess. So because uh, the nice thing about doing solo work is you don't need to tell everybody or the, your other performers what the format is. Yeah, you just feel it out, and you're the only one, so you know, right? So sometimes it's just like one monologue from one perspective that maybe we cut back to some scenes. Maybe maybe I play a narrator and I just sort of narrate a story, and then I become the characters as needed. So sometimes multiple characters. Uh, the worst ones are when I and uh, every once in a while I do this, and after the show I'm like, ah, oh, fuck me. 
uh, where I, I narrate a character into an environment and there's a character in a place. I'm like, this is great. What a great character. And then I'm like, I should cut away. And then I cut to another place and narrate another character. And now I have two characters by themselves <laughs> in their own environments. And now I'm like, oh, shit. Now I got to like bring them together somehow. And then the whole show is about trying to bring them together. <laughs> And then they finally get together, and then the show's over. And it's like that was a way. That was the worst way to do that. I'm so. I'm like, why didn't I just put them in the same place? Then I could have dialogue and do scenes and have relationships. But instead, it's like these two people by themselves going out into the world. And I, I, it happens every once in a while, and I catch myself in it. And I'm like, oh fuck! Well, here we go. Let's just get through this. Yeah, that makes. And I I love the idea. In a way, uh, you know Lee White, I'm assuming? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so Lee and I kind of found a, a gimmick hack that's it means nothing. But our duo, we call um, uh, we call Paradigm. And our grand promise is we refuse to ever do the same format twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is essentially like, I don't know, what do you feel like doing tonight? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We refuse. <laughs> Yeah, we but we'll probably used. forget half of the formats we oh, do, so we might do one again. <laughs> we might do one. There's Some still red wine is on gonna stage. Come up to you, so. and go, you did this three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I used to, Ryan Beal, I don't know if you know Ryan from Vancouver, Ryan Beal, uh, from the that, Sunday yes. Service. Yeah. Yeah, we, Sunday Service, we, yep. Yeah, we used to do a duo together for years. We still technically do it, but we're just on hiatus. <laughs> That's, yep, <laughs> yeah. me too. <laughs> but uh, one of our things was we didn't have a format, and we would just kind of find a format throughout the night, and just like finding a game throughout the whole night. Uh, but over time, it slowly started sort of merging into a format that we never decided on or talked about, but we just it just were we just found it, and then it just yeah. kept kept yeah. Re coming back, kept coming back. To the point where he had to one point tell me if I ever call him Michael on stage again. He's <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I'm narr narrating a character and Michael. Step fuck, I did it again. Oh. Did you? Uh, is that your go-to name, Michael? It was for a while. Yeah, I don't. I don't even. It was. It was the name I was going to be named. Uh, right. In, in, instead of David. Uh, for so some it's reason, just when I need a name of just like a normal person, Michael. I just grab Michael. I don't know. My go-to name. That is in in my head, and every time I say it, I cringe a little inside. <laughs> but it's Tim Timothy. Oh, like, I like it because it's got a. I can call uh, it's got a familiar thing. I can call it Tim, or I can be like Timothy. Like it's got you. You've got the two different speeds of it. But I, I, I go on my like at the start of a show, like don't name anyone Timothy, and then as soon as like as soon as it comes out of my mouth, <laughs> I'm like motherfucker. <laughs> No, I, I I started using Michael. I, I think because I was trying so hard to stay away from Jimmy or right. Timmy or Tommy, which is what all in North America. I feel like half the half the characters are named Timmy, Jimmy, and Tommy. Uh, <laughs> that, did you notice that? What, what what are your what were your go to names or names that you saw? Yeah, somewhere? I was going to say it's, I have a split. So if I have a contentious relationship, then his name is Kurt. <laughs> Great Kurt. Then Kurt, Kurt. shows up. And everything's going fine. And here comes yeah. Kurt. Oh, it sounds like a curse word. <laughs> um, it sounds then, like a swear word. Kurt. Yeah, Kurt. Yeah, Kurt. It's. I think it's the closest proper name to a curse word. Yeah. Uh, 
And, but then if I have an amiable relationship, then it's usually David, because I know oh. a bunch of different Davids. Mm-hmm. And then I can attach one of the last... If I'm playing with somebody that I know, or like if it's somebody from... If I'm doing Bass Prop with Mark, there's like four different Davids. And sometimes we'll talk about a character in our town. And then depending on which David, that at least gives us kind of a point of view and an energy to work with and whatever right, right. role we're assigning, assigning them. Um. Yeah, that's but I also like, know, speaking of forgetting, that I mean, as as years have gone on, I have become people improv shows. If there's anything I'm worried about, sorry, Joe, it's no, that. I think, it's I think like we lost go, you there going for a back. second. Can you just say that last bit again? If there's anything, it, it just sort of cut out there. So. Or is that? Oh, that's. I don't know. If um, yeah. The. Okay. The um. Uh, I I I'm increasingly in the last few years since I've crossed 50 incapable of remembering people's names. Yeah. And so if there is any fear and I, and I, sometimes it's like, it's a measure of if I'm here tonight, if names are there, then it's like, okay, I'm fully here. Everything's going to be good. But now when I can't remember it, I say the name and I immediately forget it. Then it's like, oh, yeah, it's going to be a rough night. <laughs> yeah i i mean can I you was, still hear me okay yeah yeah you're back yeah, gotcha. just okay. a little cut out there. yeah i find i find the the best thing when i when i'm naming people is to name them something that fits the moment and the mood or the character they're looking like or something so like you name them reginald or you name them like you know arkansas something that's like really memorable and different but if they're just a normal boring person that's what i'm like hey michael <laughs> i just go into michael can't get out of it <laughs> <laughs> and if I, with women, I will name women the names of girls that I had crushes on in high school. <laughs> How many of those do you have? <sighs> That's a different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll start with Leanne and Cindy, and they know who they are. And then there's Marsha <laughs> and Vicky. Oh, Vicky. Oh, unobtainable Vicky. Do you really have a crush on someone named Vicky? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she, yeah. Yeah. Vicky was a cheerleader and like not in my league. Like yeah. v- that she, Vicky was like, uh, she was kind of like, well, I mean, she was the most beautiful girl in school. So there's that. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody who went to Broad Ripple High School in the 80s knows what Vicky I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, and, and, and did Vicky know that she was the most beautiful girl in high school? Like, was, was she all over it or? May like maybe, but I mean, she was she was the sweetest, kindest, nice, uh, nice. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. unbelievably stunning, like beautiful energy, kind-hearted, always like a smile and even a hug. If you're like, you know, like like she's teaching you how to just give a friendly hug that is devoid yeah. of anything lustful or, you know, it. I mean, she was just. Yeah, she was a, and she when they would Vicky. do. I know, me too. Yeah, now, like, I'm gonna start naming characters. Vicky. <laughs> when they, you know, when cheerleaders do the little pyramid thing and then they lift the one up and then she does uh-huh. a little flip and let, that was Vicky too. Oh, right, right. I, I mean, oh. what can she? Do? I love you, Vicky Gray. I love you. <laughs> Never Unless, stopped. Oh, good name. Uh, 
Yeah. Now, uh, both both of you, uh, this is one thing that that I had uh, a question for. Is both of you uh, work with uh, psychiatry uh, uh, and um, memory a lot? So Dave's um, uh, been memorizing. Ha- uh, cards like how to uh, get through a card deck and stuff like that and i know you uh do a lot about memory in the brain as well joe like in terms of your research and and your off improv kind of uh research that uh, does tie back into improv of course uh yeah do do you guys want to uh share or or talk uh, around that at all yeah i'm I'm curious about i I mean i'm I'm down joe is doing I mean, all I do is my, remember stuff. Like I've, I've been, I've been working on memorization stuff. So yeah, I can, and, I can tell you all the states and their capitals if you want. Again, that's a different podcast. <laughs> I think I think I could. I think I could do forty out of fifty states and their capitals for sure. I think I could do. Are there nine Canadian provinces? Um, so. No, but we'll say yes. Yeah. We'll say yes to make it. Northwest easy. Territories doesn't count, does it? No, no, that's it's one of the territories. Yeah, there's three territories and ten provinces. Yeah. Okay. Don't even. Don't even worry. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. Um. So, so no, my neuroscience nerdship is around the neuroscience of self consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, and like, what triggers? So, there's a piece of the brain called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. And it is the part of the problem-solving part of our brain that when it's turned on, it means our brain is in consideration of the negative outcomes or the, the negative consequences that could happen to us given the solution of a problem or the execution of, a, of an activity. So what that means is, uh, for Chicago people, I say, that's why when Sharno walks into the room, when your Herald team is performing, you shit your pants. Yeah, it, yeah. it all flops. <laughs> Yeah, um, because when that's turned on, when that's turned on, it releases your adrenal system, system freaks out, you're in fight or flight, and it's just like, I'm going to get cut, I have to do a good show because I'm going to get cut. And I think every improviser at some point in their life has noticed there's somebody in the audience who Mm -hmm. they put stock in doing a good job for. Um, And then there's behaviors that turn that thing on, but there's a... um, there's a neuroscientist in San Francisco who's been increasingly working with some people from bats. His name is Dr. Charles Lim. He's the he's the rapping neuroscientist. And he is a he's a brilliant neuroscientist, complete nerd, and he studies how the the brains of freestyle rappers work. Nice. So cool. And it's and, and he raps. He's got a TED talk where he raps, and he, he has the exact proper amount of like self-apology <laughs> for like, you know, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm a rapper. I'm a freestyle rapper. I am not How a successful. You, is it Charles Lim L-I-M-B? Or uh, I, L-I-M? When I learned I'll it, I, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was L-I-M. It's um, his, his TED talk is your brain on improvisation. Okay, cool. I'll link that in the show notes if anyone's interested. Yep. Um, uh, but keep going. Um, and so... And then he talks a little bit about the 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 commonality, not just in this one piece of the brain, but in other pieces of the brain between freestyle rappers and jazz musicians. And so, one uh, one like when jazz musicians improvise, the dorsolateral uh, prefrontal cortex is turned off. And so, 
to release a whole bunch of bunch of nerd science. So this this interface, the idea that jazz musicians have this thing turned off, they're one with the music, there are no mistakes, then this leads you into like teachings of Bobby McFerrin and Miles Davis's idea that there's no wrong notes and it's the second yeah. note that makes the first note right or wrong, which is just, you know. Don't play the butter notes. That's it. Mm-hmm. Have you have you guys seen? I can share it on the screen here. It's a, a list of uh, notes from Thelonious Monk um, to to a yep. bunch of uh, bands. I won't I won't share oh, it yeah. if you've seen it, but oh, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's great. It, it's so fantastic, and uh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll put a little link in the show notes to this as well. But it's just it's such a wonderful list of things. <laughs> it's just uh, from a set, but for improvisers, it's it's just gold. It's like uh, don't play everything or every time. Let some things go by. <laughs> some music, yeah. some music is just imagined, underlined. Like it's there are so many lovely notes there for um for improvisers so uh yeah i'll link that as well but there's that deep connection between musical improv and, and what we do on the stage mm-hmm. yeah, yeah there's i, I play mu- i i play music uh a little and i've been playing piano a lot especially during this pandemic mm-hmm. and jazz piano with that so i've been like cool. playing just improvising a little more on the piano than ever ever before and uh and it's funny because i'm like this isn't that hard like the improvising part isn't that hard playing piano is hard yeah the actual like just fucking around i'm like yeah and i'm like well i guess that's what i do of course it would be easy to jazz like i'm so used to to throwing myself into a moment and not worrying about the mistakes Mm. right and like so it's just now i'm doing that on the piano and so it's fun i'm not saying i'm a great musician i'm just saying (laughs) i'm not finding that the hard part yeah yeah it's um I played I played and studied harmonica for thirteen or fourteen years, um, and then I just put it amazing. down, and um, because I was I I was like ugh like and I don't want to be a white guy in Chicago learning to play blues harmonica like I'm not gonna <laughs> go out to any open mic here, but when I was on the road I can play anywhere else that's not you know, Chicago. It's like oh he's a pretty good harmonica player yeah but here no, but I um. So then a guy was teaching me how to play jazz harp and the interval mm. interval on jazz harp is a third instead of a fourth. Right. And you're and so and I, it was opening up a whole new world and a whole different way to play and it's like checking assumptions that are intuitive and like it's it's like relearning it's like relearning a different way to ride a bike and if I'm going to ride a bike this way this is what I have to think. And then examining the difference between just intuitive blues harp and then purposeful jazz harp it's that um what do you call that the learning the thing where it's like unconscious incompetence conscious incompetence Uh, conscious competence and then unconscious unconscious competence competence. right so like that i really really felt that and that's also a reminder that's another one of those things like as teachers of improvisation the other thing that's been coming up because I've got I've had a lot of improv discussions with people and especially um in people that have sort of come up in the improv world my you know my quest is like okay how do we words just mean the same freaking thing you know yeah. game of the scene is just a tilt it's it it's all it's that's it um and then like Keith notes tend to be more objective and Dell notes tend to be more subjective and whatever. But, but for me and seeing like the screaming improv boards, uh, the I'm more right than you improv conversations <laughs> of 20 something men, 
Um, it's like, it's like, how do we, how can we delineate between how the brain works when we're doing different types of improv and I'll, and I'll throw this to you guys. Um, so I think that the brain works different on the one hand is game. And then in the middle is story. And then on the other hand is scene and scene is relationship where story and humor may be a consequence. Story is the aim is story where relationship and funny may be the consequence and game is funny as the objective where story and relationship might be the, the, the consequence. Your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like a, a, a beautiful Venn diagram to me, <laughs> like as things go over, but you can never, like if you can identify where you are in any one of those circles at any given time on stage, you're not in the scene. <laughs> well, at, right, but it's also can you in an intuitive way sense it's like it's like do you know when you've joked out a moment in the middle of a relationship yeah. bit? Yeah. And then how do you compensate for that in the jazz way where it's it's not the sellout that matters, it's your move after the sellout which makes it a sellout or not. This is deep cut nerd section of the Jason David Joe <laughs> I talk. That. I love that. I love what you just said. I was cuz I was thinking about that when you were talking about music too that there's like there's no wrong chord to go to from another chord as long as the next chord makes it yeah. make sense. So like there's the transitional chord can be the messiest like ninths and flat elevenths and whatever you want. Yeah. And then as long as you resolve to the which is the term in music, resolve yeah. to the next chord that ties it all back into the same key, everyone's ears go, nice. Yeah. Right. And so I think there's no wrong choice to make it's the the next choice that justifies it. yeah um but on your thing about the scene versus story versus game which i think is that how you sound yeah it? scene versus game. scene and um, then like like if it's a continuum and on one side is and i typically get called upon because there's some people that just teach that like scene is just a game mm -hmm. and that's and i've also gotten to the age where like i don't give a shit about arguing about anything really <laughs> yeah but but the point of a game is funny and the point of a scene is honesty and relationship or honest emotional response. And so, for example, it's if our goal is funny, then we as like, uh, you know, cis, cis straight white guys, we have to be more or like or just not not play stuff that's outside of us in a game where maybe in a relationship it might be allowed because we're going for the emotional honesty and then how, you know, our life experience can come up, can come into it. Um, so really what it boils down to is like, sometimes we're trying to be funny. That's the goal. That's the declaration. Sometimes we're trying to tell a story. And then it's like, you know, like I've noticed in Germany, the Germans kind of don't care if, if the acting's great, but if the story's beautiful, oh, such a nice story. I love what you yeah, did. Yeah. So, so beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. And my preference is to play relational, but I mean, you know, sometimes there's just a big juicy laugh hanging right there. Yeah. You got to do it. We've all been there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where, for me, it's like the, the if you want to call them modes, I guess, like they're different modes of playing. Yeah. Uh, yeah let's call it that. Switch, switch modes and then yeah. switch back is really, really nice. Like being in, uh, and the long form I like to do is very story based. Like I, I aim for theater and settle for comedy. But uh, aiming for theater, so trying to do like a long-form story, like one narrative is like one of my main goals all the time. Uh, and then yeah. if in that we're in a moment where they were in like a, I don't know, a, a pizza place and the two pizza characters come out, it's like, well, this is a, 
opportune moment for a fun game. And it's not yeah. going to ruin the story. It's going to make this moment so delightful. Let's do it. Let's play this big pizza parlor game, and then we can get back to the story. And, of course, within a story, all the scenes should be meaningful relationships, right? Uh, so you should, when you get into the next part of the story, instead of doing that horrible thing where you try and get to the next part of the story, Yep. Oh, wait, wait, we're in this part of the story. So what's the scene? What's this relationship about? And let that inform the story. So like the switching between the three, I think is the, is the, my main goal always is to be able to like get back to story. Like one of my company here, one of the things we, we do a lot of genre and genre, sometimes you just got to improvise well and throw yeah. the genre for a moment, right? You got to be like, okay. Yeah, I there's that. I know this isn't <laughs> film noir, but it's a really good offer and it's going to fix everything. Uh, but what I'd say when we do that, or if someone finds a joke and it's just too funny and they go for it and they can't resist and it breaks the whole scene to then the next offer is to double down back into that genre. So with story playing, I feel like that's what you do. You let the story, stop the story for a while, play the game, do the scene, whatever. And then the next offer, okay, let's double back down and get back into the story. Otherwise we're going to lose it forever. Right. For me, the most satisfying games come from the relationship and their stories. Like they're, 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 they come from the characters connecting and finding the dynamic. So the game is the dynamic of the characters. So, so those, uh, it's not a meta thing. It's not something that, that, uh, goes from the outside in. Um, we kind of discover it from the inside out through, through connection in story and in narrative. And that's, that's when it's most satisfying for me. Sometimes the game is something meta that just pops up and you see it and play it and go back. But for me, when I, when I can find those, those moments of game from a, a character point of view, that's when it's most satisfying when you, you kind of stumble into it from, from that relationship sphere um, uh, and come at it that way. That's when it's real satisfying for me. That reminds me like of the, like a specific circumstance I use. Sometimes it's, we're doing a scene and we're playing it on us and we're, we're, you know, we're, we're old friends or brothers or whatever. And yeah. you, you say to me, like, I, I, I don't want to talk about it. So your declaration is like, I don't yeah. want to talk about it. Yeah. But when we're connected from all the unspoken stuff that just comes from our behavior towards each other, you're saying to me, help me talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Make me talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah make me talk about it. And mm -hmm. so then the literalist, because my proposition is that that game is an engineering thing and that, mm -hmm. that story is engineering and jazz and that relationship is jazz. And it doesn't prevent... But like my default is relationship. If I'm playing with Patty, and especially because Patty will fucking keep me honest, Patty yeah. Styles, I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And so it's like I will. It's it's almost like when I'm playing with Patty, it's like you you do the joke first. I'm not doing a joke first. <laughs> you yeah. do the joke first. Yeah. But but when we know each other, and when you're used, to, and when I first moved to Chicago, I was my brain was all about story. And for two years, like Del Close and Second City, and everybody's like, "Quit thinking about the story. Quit jumping ahead. Quit trying to resolve." Yeah. And so it's this this inside out idea of like follow the relationship, see what's there, see what's not being said, see how we are might suggest possibilities that represent the truth, right? And you and I know each other. We played enough together enough, Jason, where if you're like, I don't want to talk about it, the way you say that will give me a clue yeah. to how I'm going to investigate the possibility of you talking about it. Yeah. Whereas yeah. a literalist might be, I'll give you five bucks. Come on, man. I'll buy you a dog, which isn't a bad move, but the yeah. quality of the behavior that's yielded, I think, is different than 
um, without saying a word, we can see that I care about you. We care about each other. It's a vulnerable moment. And, to, and for me, and I think this is what you're saying, Dave, like it, it, it's the flip side of going into the joke. It's like, okay, now we've doubled down in this story where like the two brothers from separate kingdoms realize they're related. Now let's play this relationship for a while. <laughs> let's not. Yeah. Like yeah. what's the relation that's beyond the circumstance of, you know, I must destroy you. You must destroy me. Right. Yeah. What's in that realization of like, shit, you're my brother. Yeah. One thing I like to try and do with my students is get them to do three beats of a story where the story happens between the beats. So like you see scene one and then time has passed where story happened. And then we see scene yeah. two and then time has passed where story happens. And then we see scene three and don't tell it, don't make the story happen. You just play the scenes honestly. And the story happens in the, in the, the rests, right? Like if yeah. you keep with this music metaphor, right? Uh, the I love rests it. is where music lies. So like, but so I, 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 lo I love that that's the that, I love that approach. That's how we should be doing story anyway. Is by mostly yeah. focusing on relationships. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And as as an improviser, nothing keeps me on my toes more than in like looking for those invitations. Like you're saying of of you saying one thing and me going, okay, all right, mm. all, oh, all right. See what well, we've mean. just mm -hmm. we've just shifted this gear here, and that keeps me invested, <laughs> and that makes the audience sit forward because I'm invested, and it's it, it's the that's why it's the most satisfying thing for me is when I find that. Yeah. So maybe calling it game is is a different thing, but to me, uh, the, a game is something that is playful and enjoyable, and those are the moments in in these things that that I really really enjoy uh, um, when I'm acting out the scene is those moments of like where you both go okay this is up with your swords let's go with it you know we've we're on yeah 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 <clears throat> sorry i pulled my mic yeah, out it's oh, uh <clears throat> oh no there we go look at all of the gifts we're giving ourselves tonight <laughs> um um you know and then there's the proposition of you know we're talking about us as in those moments experiencing it and then it's how the hell do you teach yeah. this yeah i know that's, and it's like that's the, that's the question how do we cheat experience i really i think if we can just in five minutes ten minutes whatever we got let's talk about and solve how we can cheat experience and then we can all just fuck off <laughs> how can you skip over having to do it for your whole life yeah, I, it's, it's that's, so that's also it's another those... podcast cheat experience and fuck off like, like, i'm in like, like yes like, like right. yes and is is like such a foundation of improv of course yes and the idea of yes and but i feel like sure. when you teach people yes and they then think it means yes and Right, like they think, oh, Jason says he doesn't want to talk about it. Yes, and we won't talk about it. Yeah, and I was like, no, that's mm -hmm. not what he meant. It meant it's, and, and so like now I, I try as hard as I can to stress that it's about acceptance of offers and like the world that we're in. You're accepting things. You're agreeing that he said he didn't want to talk about it. That's what it's the most important thing. It's not just those mm -hmm. words, yes, and right. But I think that's what gets down to teaching everything when you teach game. People then yeah. think, okay, this is how you do improv. You have to do, you have to yeah. find the game and play the shit out of the game. And yeah. whatever, like, but, like the, they, get, they fall it, into, the, oh, it's a rule. I got to do that. Yeah. Well, and for some brains, you need to teach them literal yes and for them to yeah. get it. Yeah. Like for engineering, right, wrong, good, bad, literal, linear thinking brains, mm -hmm. you know, yes, this is a cake and it's your birthday. Yes, it is my birthday <laughs> and I'm wearing a 
moo moo whatever right mm-hmm. um um and it's and yes and is a state of mind and and in the states i mean ucb essentially made game of the scene a verbal proposition where there's there's an emotional game and there's a physical game that can also exist mm-hmm. and then like and other meta games but but i think it's also i was just talking about this earlier today i think there's this there's this crazy need that's coming up i feel like it's from the young people for like definitive singular empirical answers to improv questions mm-hmm. when and everybody who knows me well enough knows you know i'm a i'm a strict adherent to the idea that the answer to every improv question is it depends yeah it depends <laughs> and it yeah, drives I it, to, yeah I used to it drives that. people crazy and <laughs> i direct forms a lot of times people ask me a question and i'm like uh, the answer is uh, yeah, whatever yeah. Uh, and then and Next. then they and then eventually they start asking me questions and I go, What do you think I'm gonna say? And they go, Whatever. Like, whatever. There you go. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. If it works, it works. If it's feeling right, do that. Uh, I guess. Like it's not that important. More and more in uh when I'm working with newer improvisers, so so people who are, are very new to improv, like one oh one type type classes, uh towards the end of that one oh one class, I'll spend time on subtext. I'll I'll spend time on gearing them into all right, what are they saying, but what are you hearing? What what can you assume from this just to plant that seed? Uh, and some people take to it like a duck to water and other people are like, Well, well he, he said he wants some bread, so I assume he wants some bread. But oh, um, but this I think is- it's beneficial in in the 101 kind of area to at least plant that seed now. So more more and more with students who are very new to improv, I'm, I'm doing a, a bit of subtext work as well. Um, That's great. And this is great because Joe's here because I think just a couple episodes ago I was talking about this phrase that I think you said in a workshop that I took with you or part of a workshop I took with you. Uh, <laughs> and I was, I was asking people in the podcast and no one can remember, listen, interpret, feel, react. Is those, are those your four words in that order? Did you say that or were you on a kick when you were saying it? That in a scene, what you do is you listen, you, you f- interpret what that means and then you feel what it means and then you react to what that feeling is. Is that you or is that somebody else or are we just going to go? I would say they're not, I would say they're not my words, but I, in that, I could see myself having said them, (laughs) but I would also, I would flip, feel, and interpret. Sounds like something I'd say. (laughs) Like you Um, flip, feel, and interpret? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think I would, or maybe I would, you know yeah, what? Because I mean? the way the way it was, uh, uh, I, I formed it in it my mind was: yeah. you listen to what the person says. Of course, you hear. You make sure you're listening. Yeah. You interpret what those words mean, like what they mean by what they say, and then let that f- hit you with a feeling. Your character feels something, and then your character reacts from that place of the feeling. Uh, and that was that was the kind of general gist of it. I don't know if that was right. so. I mean, so what it reminds me of is the Alan Alda thing I take. So Alan Alda. For scripted work, he says um, his definition of listening is listening is the willingness to be changed by your scene partner. Mm-hmm. And then, so I tweak it for improv, which is listening is the willingness to change. You don't have to, but the acting happens during the willingness. Mm-hmm. So then in the willingness, I think, is where that listen, react, feel, whatever. Um, 
And I, I use that phrase in my TED talk, by the way. I, do, I did a TEDx talk. Um, and you quoted a really intelligent person. I think I, I forget what old, an old wise man, I believe, was the phrase. Because I was trying I think, to figure out who said it, and I could find no uh, like official uh, history of it, except for Alan Alda was the closest I could find to someone who originated it, maybe. And I was like, well, I'll just say old wise man. It works. It covers I'm it. pretty sure you said, or like a really smart person or something, because I was, I was, I saw that TED talk eight years ago or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I loved it. And then it's, and then you put up the slide and it's just like, oh my God, that's what I say. Hold on. He, oh, really intelligent person. Well, okay. <laughs> that is you. Yeah, that is you. Yeah. Works. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love but, that line. Listening is the willing to change. Yeah, and in improvisation, it's it's the willingness is where the acting happens. And usually, to really feel the willingness, you just shut the fuck up, like mm -hmm. just be quiet. Mm -hmm. And that's all the in between the line stuff that you're talking about. It's the rest that's in the music. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I'm doing like I think Jason, you've done something like my baby Meisner. You know, I love doing shortcuts around Meisner. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like start with a feeling. Start start with the feeling, so it's not hearing the words they say, but hear how they say. So how you are hearing how they are, how they are makes up how we are. Mm -hmm. So I do this little puppet show. So how we are is my idea of how are you? How am I? How are we? Your idea of how am I? How are you? And how are we? And how we are is the harmony of how, how I think we are and how you think we are. It's how we are. And that how we are is what the engineer can't measure. That's jazz. That's where the jazz is. Yeah. yeah. And and you might even say the audience watching in their mind has their own version of how we A hundred percent. And so there's no way to, to quantify like, so how are no. these two people? It's like, well, it depends who you ask. It, 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 yeah. it depends. It depends. Yeah. That's how we keep bars open. We improvise like that. And then they go to the bar and they drink and try to share their experience. What do you think that yeah. character was going through? I think <laughs> I'm sure that's what people in a comedy club are going to the bar. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the feelings those characters had, man, it reminded me of when I last saw my father before he passed. Like they're just going. It <laughs> made me feel are. a lot of things too. Want to come back to my place? <laughs> I mean, my goal, if that's what's happening in the back of a comedy club, goal achieved. That's what I said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh God. Uh, yeah. Hey, can we? Should we talk about Bass Prov a little more? I feel like we should ask sure. you something. I feel like people sure, listening are going to be like, "You haven't asked him anything about Bass Prov," and uh, if you don't want to talk about it, we can just skip yeah. it. But like, uh, I guess the the most curious question is the style of improv that that show is has been copied yeah. a million times now uh, yeah. by millions of people in ways that I don't. I think they've missed what made it so great. So, could you maybe sum up like what is the what makes Basprov work and all the copies of it not work? I mean, <laughs> okay. Some I, of the copies, maybe they worked. I don't want to be too. Yeah. People, but. I, I think, I think that it's very likely that nobody knows, <laughs> including <laughs> us. Um, I, I know the novelty of Basprov and the, it was sort of a rebellious move because even Sheldon Patinkin said, it'll never work. Like nobody's going to watch two guys sit and drink beer and have a conversation for an hour. Um, but I attribute it to some of the agreements, which are Mark and I are both from Indiana. Mark and I have fished together. <clears throat> so rule number one in Bass Prob is those two characters are there to catch fish. Yeah. And those two characters will probably fail to catch fish. 
but they will continue to believe that they can catch fish, which I think is just another way to say it's rooted in clowning. Because um, clowning is, yeah. Uh, Casper Shelbred, like he he taught this bastard clown thing at in Canberra. Were you there for the hungover bastard clown class? Yes. And Casper, and, and who's this like this artist? We're all just, I mean, we we maybe slept an hour and we yeah. were stinking awful. He goes, it's "Good, you're all ready for bastard clown." He goes, "Here's the rule: you're a piece of shit. You're a piece of shit." That's rule number one. And here's rule number two. But you never lose hope. Uh, <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. It's so beautiful. great. I did a show with Casper in uh, in Paris, in Montmartre, and uh, we had to bring a box of wine. Oh, did you do the, the little theater? Le yeah. Petit Théâtre de Montmartre. Yeah. It was like, it was, it was the size of the room I'm in now. It was, it was, I did it too. Oh man. It was, it was one of my favorite gigs I've ever done. Like it was just, you're literally walking down a, a stairway in Montmartre outside stairway. And then there's a door to your left. He goes, it's right here. And uh, we bought a box of wine along and uh, had a tiny, tiny stage. You could barely stand together on yeah. and just, just maybe 40 people crammed in. No, like, like 16. 16. Yeah. yeah. It was, and I, yeah. yeah. And I think once you get past 12, you're breaking the fire code. It's, it yeah. is literally the, the smallest official theater in France. Yeah. It was, it was just a, it was great. We did a lovely, great show. Merveilleux. Yeah. Tout le, tout le spectacle. Yeah. Casper um, is fantastic. He's a, a but, lovely guy and uh, a great improviser. But I think that applies to Basprov because at what you know, we discovered some things along the way. Um, first of all, we discovered that the kids wouldn't. We called it real time improv, but then they quickly changed it to mono scene. Right. And it's like, <sighs> okay, it's a mono I scene. Gotta, my confession: I I really don't like the term mono scene. I don't yeah. like it. I, I feel like it's redundant. It's a scene. You're, it's a, it's a scene. <laughs> Why do you yeah. think? Of it's a scene. It's a mono scene, unless it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's was was real time so bad? Yeah. Um and the the other thing is another one of my I'm not big on improv rules, but I think this is as good a piece of advice as you can give to anybody. It is the the only reason that two characters fight or argue is because they love each other. Yeah. And so with those two guys what we discovered was in a way, the boat was their place where they could reconnect with the person that loved them the most, yeah. even though we were probably not very liked in the worlds outside of us. And this is our little therapy. And we will only play, look, I'm right so far, because we know this is the only other person who, even if I disagree with him right now, shit, this is the one fucker whose opinion matters. Um. And then it was little things like agreeing. It was important for us to, Mark would typically play the more conservative and I would play the more liberal, but it was important for us not to be black and white. So that if it went, if the show went that way, and then there became like five different templates of possibilities for show, I think just like you and your your buddy discovered, it's like, oh, we typically do some version of, because it's like, it's the alchemy of our personalities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, we would never be absolute. We would never be absolutist. So Mark might be an absolute gun advocate who's um, pro-choice. 
and uh and I might be, you know, uh I might be like a a a raging libertarian who thinks that we need a more robust welfare system in America, right? <laughs> um but it's like but that doesn't carry it. And then really it's kind of like it's kind of like a conversational herald. So we would get one suggestion that is heavy, one suggestion that is light. So one conversation is about the, the well, we usually start with the light conversation, which could be pop culture or my favorite is, you know, the jello molds that have fruit in it or salad or something in it. Mm-hmm. Um, we one time argued about 30 minutes about whether that is a dessert or a salad. <laughs> And then it became like a metaphor for like, what is a dessert and what is a salad? And it depends on how you look at it. And And what is the sweet thing and what is the healthy thing in life? What is the health and what's like, what's, what's the, what is, what is ground zero of this idea? I remember came up, this is after nine 11. And it's like, you know, are we assaulting something that is pure and good? Is Jello the source? Is Jello what God is? And then why would we correct? You know, it was, uh, and it felt like we were only talking about it for about eight minutes. Yeah. Um, and then one conversation is, what's our relationship? How you do? And what have you been up to? Um, and it's so like when you have all that, then it's really easy. Haven't haven't you, regardless of what country you're from, haven't you driven along a road and seen two guys out in a boat and gone, I wonder what those guys are talking about? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is like we're just the audience is a fly on the wall and we're just two guys in the boat trying to catch a fish. And, you know, if we weren't here, we might be going fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Cool. I love yeah, because I've seen Basprov twice. Oh. I think. Was it those two times? Maybe more. No, I think I only saw it once in Vancouver. I had to leave early. The other time. Uh, <laughs> Dave, you need but, to plan better. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, it's okay, Dave. You can play hard to I, get with me I now. Think, now that we've cleared I saw this. It once, <laughs> once in Chicago, in the early days of Bass, probably I guess, like in the early mm-hmm. aughts, uh, when I, I was down there. And then the other time was in Vancouver. And in Vancouver, you had a guest with you. And I have a question sure. about this. This is maybe this. Maybe you can feel free to just <laughs> dodge it. Uh, when did you decide to start bringing guests into the show? Our first, because because from my perspective, as someone who's seen it twice, once with, once without, I much preferred the yep. without the guest, uh, not uh, because you guys are so great together. Thank you. And the guest, it's like, well, maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's not. Does do they understand it? I don't think they really. Yeah. Do it. Like, uh, so there is a story, and I'll keep it short. Um, I. We definitely like doing the show with just the two of us. So our first guest in the boat was during CIF. We started Best Prof in 2000, I think. And so at Chicago Improv Festival, it was 2003 or 2004. All of a sudden, Bass Prof had this meteoric rise. And festivals in the States kind of started in the 90s. And then as soon as Bass Prof came, nothing else was like it. So we played all the festivals. So going back to the original question, that's why I think a whole bunch of duos figured it out. Oh, we can travel easier. If we can both teach, if we can make money, this is the thing to do. <clears throat> so it's 2003 or 2004. And we'd, we'd all been involved in the Chicago Improv Festival for a while. And Jonathan Pitt started giving out um, Lifetime Achievement Awards. <laughs> And um, to like famous people who were like our heroes in improvisation. 
And so it just so happened that we knew that Fred Willard was going to be in town and he was a hero to, to both of us. And Mark and I just both went, what if we get, get Fred Willard in the boat thinking like no fucking way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he might have even been maybe Jonathan was he might have been the first lifetime achievement award given out by the Chicago Improv Festival. So all of this was like the packaging of the first lifetime achievement award, and then like some like you know, and as our guest of honor, then you get to do this show with these two fucking yahoos. <laughs> and so I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Fred was the first one. Um, and uh, I'm pretty sure he was the first one, but it also could have either been TJ Jagodowski, Dave Pesquez, or Emo Phillips. So all of those three guys in the early days also would like play in the smaller theaters with us. But what the thing about Fred was uh, TJ and Dave and Emo all played cousins of ours and Fred Willard played Fred Willard. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. my favorite opening line of an improv show ever was Mark Sutton. So here comes Fred Willard. He's dressed in a suit. We're in our boat and uh, we get our suggestions. The lights go down, the lights come back up and Mark set and says, 25 years. You mean to tell me I've known you for 25 years and I have never, ever let slip that Fred Willard was my cousin. <laughs> and and then Fred was like, yeah, I just, you know, I didn't, never knew I had folk in Indiana. And, you know, gosh, when I'm in LA and I go, I'm on a boat, it's, you know, a lot nicer than this. <laughs> and then I took my turn and I said some shit about he stopped by the bar and wanted mustard on an egg sandwich and, you know, just as like a piece of character flavoring. And and I finished the thought. And as soon as I had like just taken the first breath after completing a thought, Fred goes, well, I don't know why that's funny. But, you know, here I am in a boat. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole thing, um, one of the dynamics, uh, you know, the idea is if there's a guest, we're going to take care of the guest. And what if Basprov plays in this style? Right. So we've played with groundlings and we've played with different people. It's like, oh, what would Bass Prob look like this? But also one of the guest strategies is like which one of us is going to get shit on this show. Right. And so and with Fred Willard and with Dan Castaneda with Homer Simpson himself, I was the one that got shit on. <laughs> and that's uh mm -hmm. perfectly happy to. So that's the story of the third and um, it, I agree. It's a completely different show when there's a guest than when it's us. Although the Chicago people, and I'd include even McNapier and Ed Furman in this, um, and even Stephanie. Yeah, I mean, so the, the people that we kind of came up with in the nineties that would guest at Bass Prob, they got it or who've been to small towns in Indiana, they could, um, uh, just slide yeah, in, it, in it. Yeah, yeah, they could slide into the world pretty, pretty easily. But now, I mean, it's been, you know, shit, it's Bass Prop's 20 years old. And I tend to believe that somewhere between 12 and 15 years is when you can just start fading a show out and start doing other <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Lest you get caught in that trap of just falling in love. With, like, this is the only thing I'll ever be able to do in my life. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> So we'll never quit doing Bass Prov. We'll never, you know, there's definitely part of my brain that's just like, someday I'm going to find out I have cancer and I have three months to live and that'll be the last Bass Prov show. Like for real. <laughs> I think that. Um, 
Yeah, cause yeah. Watching watching you and Mark do the show, it's like it's and back to memory we were talking about. It's like the two of you never forget anything. That's what it felt like when I first watched you two do that show. I was like, these guys heard everything the other guy said and yeah. remembered it all. And just it all it was all in the boat with them the whole time. And I and then watching with a guest is like those two guys remember everything and that <laughs> other guy is just saying stuff <laughs> like that's yeah <laughs> like yeah not to shit on guests i'm sure like some of them have been great but but i think that goes back to what i was saying before like mark and i are doing a relationship scene and the guest is playing an, an, an improv game yeah <clears throat> and it's so and it is interesting when mo collins said and i don't know if you know mo collins but she was on um hilarious physical comedian i'm pretty sure she was a groundling she was on um She's on Return of the Walking Dead now, but she's a very like bits and loud and, and like, she's an amazing character improviser. And she's, and she was my, <laughs> she was my cousin, Gina. Uh, and, and Mark goes, Gina. She goes, yep. Apostrophe G I N A. You got any questions? So this was a shit on Mark show. Yeah. <laughs> so she, <laughs> so she's my cousin, Gina, and she is just out front short form or let's call it game energy and bam, bam. And so the show's just popping like this. And Mark's Mark is just preaching boat decorum. His whole thing was about, <laughs> you know, Johnny, you just can't come out here and not understand boat decorum. And, and I'm, and I'm preaching individuality and evolving what boat decorum can mean. And Mo, it culminates. We're about maybe five or 10 minutes left in the show. She fucking, Pisses off the side of the boat and mimes dropping trowel and lifts up the hood and lets it rip. And, and there's a picture of Mark somewhere on Facebook with the, the rod leaving his hand because he's throwing the rod down and he's going to troll us back to the dock because a woman is pissing off the side of the boat. <laughs> <laughs> and that was also... There's a code. Uh, 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 I would have never imagined when we started Bass Prob that that moment could have ever happened, but... Yeah. You know, part of the reason why we do three is so you can have moments like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then play with some heroes and play with some people that are, you know, when the hell am I ever going to get to play with like super funny, yeah. you know, rock and roll people. So. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, Mark's there. But yeah. He's, uh, he's lost <laughs> all of his rock and roll though. <laughs> if I can get. Hey, uh, I, I got to get another question for you, kind of. Because we're sort of talking about, you know, watching a format get, you know, aging with a format, watching it get old, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. The idea of, of growing old. And we're all pretty yeah. old now. You guys are older than me, but I'm, we're all still pretty old. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to be the kid again. Uh, the <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Speak up the kid. Yeah. Wipe your nose. 40-year-old yeah. kid over here. Uh, yeah, I remember when improv was first on TV. Okay. Um, but the, uh, I couldn't even speak British. But, but about getting old, because you're, you're, uh, you're, you're Joe Bill now. Um, yeah. You've become Joe Bill. Like you don't, you're I'm not 58. Joe anymore. You're Joe yeah. Bill from the I'm Joe Bill. scene. He's everywhere. Everyone knows Joe Bill now. Was do, do you remember the moment when that started to happen where you stopped being the young kid in the <sighs> improv workshop that was like like you know, wow, this this guy's a young talented guy. He's going to do great and became the guy that everyone when you walked into a room would look and be like, "Oh, Joe Bill's here." Like do you remember that happening ever? Or do you could you put your finger on it or find a moment where you noticed? I mean, I don't 
my relationship to that question is like, I don't know if I'll ever release, you know, there's always a measure of imposter syndrome that goes with you. And, um, and I'm doing a podcast with a woman from India uh, named Balasri Viswanathan, and she's a 28-year-old improviser. I'm a 58-year-old improviser. And she talks about imposter syndrome as a 28-year-old in India who's been doing improv for four or five years. Mm-hmm. And for her, it's like, what right do I have to make stuff up but watch me? And somewhere around my late 40s was the first time somebody referred to me as a guru. And I just <laughs> fucking cringed. Like, no, yeah. no. Um, and so it's been like an evolution. Um, and so my relationship to the question is like, when did I, how I phrase that is like, when did, at what point did I decide I have to take responsibility because I'm not this young you know, crazy alcoholic doing insane things uh, at the Annoyance Theater anymore. And so doing starting Bass Prob was one level up of like, oh, this is something that's really good, but I'm also so full of inner critic and shame and negative thinking and everything that I can't fully embrace how people see me. But I knew we had something special and I knew it was good. And then when people started copying it, you know, copying kind of like the format, I guess, whatever, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's noteworthy. So I've done something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's as, you know, th- I probably took another bump up when Patty Styles and I met um, because my whole mission really is to make the world smaller by using improvisation. Mm-hmm. And learning that I have a skill. I'm the son of a football coach and a nursery school teacher. And so I'm an improv teacher because I'm an improv teacher. So I don't know what the fuck else I would do. And some of that means I teach corporate people and, and I do shows, you know, uh, I don't, I don't see myself as a great improviser. I see myself as an improviser. I don't see myself as a great teacher. I see myself as a teacher and I see myself as capable. I don't see myself as a great director. I see myself as a director. And in any of those capacities, I know I have confidence and my confidence supersedes my imposter syndrome almost every time I'm in in one of those positions. But I think there's always a measure of me that knows I'm full of shit and this could go wrong at any given moment. And I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. That keeps me authentic and open and willing to learn. Um, you know, and then therapy helps. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, I've heard it does. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, I think that's a fantastic answer to that question, Joe. Thank you. Oh my I God. think there's a lot of people out there doing improv starting out too, that are, that feel that imposter syndrome that feel like they don't belong and to know that it's still there all the time. Like, cause I feel it too when I'm teaching a uh, workshop. Man. Yeah. Like I, I think I we were talking about. Yeah, yeah both of you elaborate. Other. I ma- I gave my vulnerable moment. Yeah. Now, <laughs> God damn well, it. I was talking about this just with with the uh, with Jill and Shannon a couple of weeks ago. This idea of like every time I do a solo show, I'm backstage going, "What the fuck am I doing? Why did I think this was a good idea? Just me? This could go so wrong." And I have to like convince myself that no, 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 Dave, you know how to do this. You you chose to do this. Like You want to do this. I have to talk myself into it and remind yeah. myself that, yeah, it's fine. You know how to do this. You'll be okay. Because uh, I still have those moments of, of like, what the hell am I doing here? And when I teach too, if I'm teaching in a corporate environment, sometimes I'm like, I should not be teaching these people. These are very important people. And they're mm-hmm. all looking at me like I know something they don't. 
And again, mm. I just have to convince myself, wait a minute, I do know something they don't. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not as important as what they know, <laughs> but, I, but I am yeah, here yeah. for a reason. And this, and I'm going to teach them that. I'm not going to try and be them. I'm going to just teach them what I know. You know? Uh, so I have to talk myself into it, but because uh, I still get it too all the time. And Jason, Jason's crippled by it every day. I'm crippled by it every day. I uh, particularly, I don't know whether it's just this <laughs> this uh, level of uh, uh, age that I'm at or, or, or whatever, but I I really feel the presence at the moment of uh of of the young charges like of a, a young a younger generation because i was a part of that generation for so long and i've kind of edged out and now uh and so there are there are people in melbourne who are I- improvisers who don't know me yeah and don't know yeah. the way i perform and all that sort of stuff which i'm absolutely fine about it. i don't need everyone to know me but as like when i walk into a room i'm just like uh i just like uh, yeah it's it's strange because they they want to prove themselves uh and 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 uh, and are working so hard at it and sometimes i'm just like just calm down take it take it easy <laughs> I, I, but i don't feel like i'm in a position to say that like you know it's like if i said that They'd be like, "Who the fuck are you?" Well, you know what I mean. And I'm like, "Am I in yeah. a position to say that?" And 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 I know I can help, and I know I can, uh, I I know I can uh, kind of steer the energy because I've been there, I've done that, I've seen it, and all of that kind of stuff. But at the moment, I'm like, "Well, maybe I am the imposter. Like, maybe they don't want to hear from me. Maybe you know, it, it's that kind of level of, of of stuff." And when I'm at a festival or I'm teaching or or or, or, or something like that, where where people kind of have a, a agreed to be in the, the the room and there's this agreed relationship, it's uh, it's it's fine. But just in the world at the moment, I'm just like, would I have listened to me if I was that age and 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 a young charger, or, or would I be just like, fuck off, old man? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and so that's that asking, would my young self acknowledge my older self? Is is this this loop of imposter syndrome that I have going on at the moment? Uh, well, like the young, banner young. of many things can be true at the same time. You very well could have been thinking, fuck off, old man, and I'll listen for a little bit until fuck off, old man, you know, comes, yeah. uh, uh, becomes louder, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, all, I mean, yeah, young chargers, I, I love that, you know, yeah, the young chargers. There's, part of being young is like, fuck off, out of my way. I got yeah. this. Yeah. I've done improv for two fucking years. Where's my, where's my SNL audition? Right? Yeah. Um. But I'll tell you something, like maybe the best thing I learned from a therapist, right, Mm -hmm. is this. Children concern themselves with what they can get. Teenagers concern themselves with what they can prove. And adults concern themselves with what they can give. Mm -hmm. And so young chargers are so full of getting and proving. Yeah. Because they have no idea what they can give because their flavor of imposter syndrome is like, hey, you know, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but... You know, watch yeah. me prove something. Watch me yeah, get, yeah. The, you know, that stuff. And and then if you apply that to teaching and even like even like online presence, I mean, it's a filter. I observe people online and teachers online and whatever. It's just like, yeah, like are all these people posting because they're trying to get something or trying to prove something? Mm. Like a lot who's of proven, yeah. A lot of proven. Yeah. When, when, when the pandemic hit and there's like – and everybody has a, light, a right to be, however, but there was this huge rush to the internet to do like games and stuff. And it's okay. Now we can rock on the, and like the pandemic is like, oh man, this is, 
going to be traumatizing. Like we need (laughs) to have, like we need to sit down and yeah. And and I think wisdom teaches us that. Right. And I mean, therapy too, just like, Oh shit, there's value in sitting around and just connecting and talking and saying, yeah, man, I'm a little freaked out. I'm a little anxious. And, you know, I mean, Gary and I have had a number of beers together and just checked in. And in, in some ways, like there's there's a, a Joe and Jason container that like yeah. that like only with Jason, where it's just like, okay, man. <laughs> but in a way, that's asprov because it's like here's two people who like they have this relationship, and and it happens in a boat. Jason and I have an image of another place that I won't say. That it's just like where we just connect and we have a beer, and it's just like, man, let's sort through the shit, man. And it's, uh, none of us has solutions. All of us just have is a fucking chaos in our head. Yeah. But that's, I mean, the more you do that, you, the more you realize there's like imposter syndrome is just kind of a waste of time. And, um, and I think those improv teachers or those older improvisers who are still willing to sit down and have a, just a human conversation. That's why I love Colin Mockery. It's just like, I mean, that guy's as clever as they come. He's he's funny and everything, but I mean, he's real and what he's doing to give to different theaters and to show up and to be present and to, you know, support the LGBTQ initiatives and stuff like that. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, we're humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I don't think he's out to prove anything. I don't yeah. think he's out to get anything. He's just, he, that, that's how you give, I think. Well, I have, I have more evidence for you that you've, uh, <laughs> that you are a guru. Oh, I said just to bother you. I did that just to bother you. No, but that that, that's comment you just made about children taking and teenagers proving and adults giving. I have heard that phrase from somebody else who heard it from someone who heard it from you. And by the time it got to me, it was a different phrase. But it was mostly (laughs) the same. It was it was that younger improvisers go on stage to see what they can take. Middle middle improvisers go on stage to see what they can prove, and, and older improvi- or wiser improvisers go on stage to see what they can give. There was a version of it, but it, that yeah. that's the thing that you learned from your therapist has yeah. made its way into the improv. So maybe your therapist is a guru. I think that's what I'm learning. <laughs> um, but but that that uh, I love how that those phrases just kind of make their way through the community. And uh, yeah, that one's yours. That's a good one. It's a I'll 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 take it. I mean, the bef- prior to this the. I mean, Mark Sutton has so many great improv quotes and the only one that I had that was out there was, um, yeah, it's never a bad time to drink a little cup of shut the fuck up juice. (laughs) (laughs) Not really poetic, not, you know, there's, there's some good meaning in there, Mm -hmm. but like, I love Mark's, you know, my favorite Mark Sutton quote is like, never in the history of improv, never in the history of improv has one audience member leaned over to another audience member and said, boy. I sure hope they fix that bike. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, I also love thinking of it like audience members leaning over like, ooh, what a good edit. Like, I don't think any audience <laughs> yeah. ever said that to yeah. <laughs> Same idea. Yeah. Did but you see the hand motion on that sweep edit? Like, that was really <laughs> – yeah, yeah. yeah, it was dismissive, yeah. but it was also supportive. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. No. Uh but I love that. I love that phrase anyway, that made it to me through somebody who made it to them through somebody. Uh, Cause that, that's what I saw a lot during the first pandemic too. This idea of all these people out there doing shows online. And I remember thinking this thought, they're not doing shows online for the audience. They're clearly doing shows online for themselves because they just want to perform. And it's like, they're just trying to take and keep doing it and they need to get out there to perform for them. 
and I yep. just kept it kept hitting me as like this. That seems like such an unimproviser way to approach something. Like, isn't this an offer that we should be accepting and finding other ways to 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 better ourselves and connect with people? And like, that's what I love about doing this podcast is this was our way of accepting the pandemic and yeah. turning it into something else. Like, okay, well, this works. This is, this I love is something that, that we can give to the community, right? That's, uh, it's kind of a, indicative of what Gary was talking about. It's like this, the charges, right? It's like, now's our chance. Now's our chance. Everybody's locked in. They have to watch us. <laughs> yes. The playing field's been <laughs> Okay, <leveled>. everybody. <laughs> who's, who's ready for some fun? <laughs> Chicago can come to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're, pushing, we're pushing our longest podcast ever, and the oh, producer shit. side of me is going, I have, to, uh, I have to send this off to the robots in the cloud that have a two-hour limit on it. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, we might Let's leave some for soon. the next. Let's leave some for our anniversary version yes yes the same room version 20 year anniversary episode um, uh, yeah. is it, is it, it just 20 uh, years thanks you guys for having me on oh man, oh, man. thanks joe for coming on it's been absolutely wonderful to have you mate uh it's been so great to have this beer together finally yeah finally <laughs> and i you know i didn't leave stayed the whole time I've become a winer you're here uh, uh okay well we have we've been ending with one question so i'm gonna do it because it's become a tradition according to jason yeah uh, yeah all right is the the one question is if there was an improv uh, lesson or something improvisers do or a skill that we have that you would want to give to the rest of the world with a snap of your fingers like you could make the whole world have this one skill that is indicative of improvising or that improvisers represent such as yes and uh, some skill or listening uh, what what's the one you would just like bam everybody has it practice having a willingness to change. Nice. Alan Alda. Hey. <laughs> Maybe. Some wise man. <laughs> Some wise man. <laughs> I want that Thanks on slide 23 right now. Thanks, Jason. Love you, Thanks, my Dave. friend. Thanks, Love Dave. you too, buddy. Mm-hmm.